Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the virgin's name was Mary. Age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. This morning, it is the fourth, start of the fourth week of Advent, which is very short. It's just this morning. Um, I'm going to light the candle representing the love that we receive during this time. Um, our candles of hope, joy, peace, and love. In John 3:16, we see that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so we participate in his gift to us, him giving us his love through the son. This morning, as I look at this text that we just read, um, as we prepare this Christmas Eve service, this fourth week of Advent series or service, um, an example kind of popped up through a, a reading that I just happened to read later on at the end of my sermon prep. And I, I want to share this thought with you. Um, how many of you have like family recipes that are like, that's the recipe, and if one person tries to touch it, they probably will mess it up. Like, no, but everybody, JR just said fish sauce. <laughs> I just had nightmares for his, like flashbacks for a second here. Um, how many of you have like a family recipe that you only trust like one or two people to make? Just curious. Okay, a few of you. So the rest of you, you just eat McDonald's like all the time. It's just, it's just bad meals left and right. Um, I, my wife is a great cook. That's why I gained 50 pounds since we got married. Um, her food is just awesome. And every once in a while, she'll experiment. She'll just kind of make something. Like, she'll just whip something up, right? Like, I can't do that. I need, like, a clear guide of whatever, uh, everything I need. I will put those things in exactly as the paper says, and then hopefully it tastes good. My wife doesn't do that. She just, like, opens the cupboards and creates a meal out of what I, I literally open the cupboards and say, we have nothing here, let's go out. She's like, oh, we got plenty here, and then makes us a delicious meal. And every once in a while, she'll make something so good, we'll be like, we have to have this again. How did you make it? And she's like, well, I didn't write it down. What do you mean you didn't write it down? And then the next time she's trying to like recreate that moment, right, where she's trying to make that thing the same way, and to me, that's like the biggest sin in our family. Like if she makes a great meal, I tell her, go write it down now because I don't want a different version of this later. Usually she gets it right again, but there's been a few times where it's just not quite the same. We have this opportunity, like I, I, in those moments, I wish that we could go back and just kind of like watch again and see what she did, like, a, like as if we had a camera recording it to see what ingredients went into the moment, what happened exactly, so we have everything recorded so we could reproduce that. As Christians, we actually do have a thing where we can look back 
and see what went into a moment and begin to taste the same taste again. We can taste something familiar because we have things written down for us. In this passage, this classic Christmas passage, we have recorded for us some revelation about who God is and how he works in his people and how he will always work for his people. Are you guys with me this morning? We have a a way to look back and, and see in this passage the nature of God and our appropriate response to him. How should we respond to God? And this leads us to a deeper revelation of his presence in our lives. When we know who he is and when we know how we should respond to who he is, we find ourselves living a life of deeper awareness of his presence, of his goodness, of his hand. The first thing I want to point out is what do we see revealed in this passage about God and the person of Jesus? The angel shows up and says a few things to Mary about Jesus that we have to recognize. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Your son will be on the throne of his father, David. This is a reference back to 2 Samuel. And Jesus fulfills this role of Israel's coming Messiah. Mary as somebody who was familiar with these things, she understood the declaration that the angel was giving. She knew that these prophecies were for the line of David. And she also knew that being engaged to Joseph would make all future children of hers considered in the line of David as well. So when the angel speaks, she has an awareness of their history as God's people, and she begins to put the pieces together. And then the angel says, he will reign over the house of Jacob. This is a declaration that the coming Messiah will be from the line of David, but he will be over all of Israel. This is we see in Isaiah chapter 2 and chapter 8 and chapter 48. Mary understood this. Then the angel says, it'll be forever the eternal rule of David's kingdom, it's taught in Samuel, Second Samuel, and in Psalms, and in Isaiah. And then the angel says his kingdom will, have, will never end. This is an allusion to the prophecies in Daniel and the prophecies in Isaiah. Mary understood the scriptures. She understood her past belonging to the people of Israel. She didn't just understand her immediate life, but she understood the life of those who have gone before her and the words over her people. She understood the scriptures. She understood these words as a prophetic declaration about the future Messiah. Mary understood that the God who fulfilled promises and made provisions in the past, she understood that he's the God who fulfills promises and makes provisions in the current, in the present, and in the future. Are you tracking with me? She understood her history. She understood the words over her people. So her reaction to these words, the angel shows up, and here she's a teenage girl engaged, and that culture meant you were basically married, and you could not get out of it unless you were divorced. She understood what the angel was saying and the implications over her and what was going to happen because God fulfilled promises then and he's fulfilling promises now. And her reaction's not one of self-pity. It's not one of thinking, well, if this happens to me right now, I'm going to be an outcast at best. 
at worst, I'm going to be killed for adultery. I'm going to be rejected. Just this last week, I was reading commentary about Mary and Joseph on their way to Bethlehem. And the commentator was saying, if you look at the language of this, there's a few things we have to assume here. They're traveling together, an engaged couple, which does not happen in that culture. It's not like it is today. Because of one of two things, she was already rejected by her family, or Joseph knew the prophecies of where Jesus would be born. They understood, she understood the cost, and she didn't respond in self-pity, and she also didn't respond in doubt. Not me. Quite often, one of the common things I hear when I talk, when I talk to people about grace or God's goodness or God's ability to do the miraculous, God's ability to move in our lives, one of the most common things I hear is people like, well, God wouldn't do that for me. People think the miracles happen for somebody else but not for them. Mary doesn't respond with that either. Not me or you've got the wrong person or this is clearly the wrong situation, angel. You don't really know what's going on and where we haven't been yet in our marriage. There's kids here today, so I will just leave it at that. She understands some things can't happen yet. So she simply responds not out of doubt, not out of self-pity, but out of curiosity. N.T. Wright explains it like her thoughts were not about herself. It seems like be a request for information, not proof. She just wants to know from the angel, okay, so how's this going to happen? How are you going to do this? Her thought was, how will you do this? Maybe even what do I need to do for this to happen? She might be thinking, we, we haven't gotten to that step yet, so what do you want me to do for this to be fulfilled? What's my part in this? And so she asked, how will this be? How will this be? We're not married yet. And the angel responds by reminding her, telling her about her cousin Elizabeth, who, although she was super old, <laughs> was pregnant. In the sixth month. So she, the angel reminds Mary of a miracle and then moves on from that and it's like, yeah, but I got one better. God's got one better. Nothing is impossible. Here's the significance of that response Mary knows her history, Mary knows the history of the people of God, and that response is a direct quote to Genesis. When Abraham and Sarah are super old and Abraham doesn't have a chance of having offspring and Sarah doesn't have a chance of having offspring. But the angel shows up and says, with, with God, nothing's impossible. Sarah's laughing. She doesn't think this is possible. And the angel says, yeah, God does the impossible. I'll show up this time next year and you'll be pregnant. And the angel responds to Mary with, when she asks how, and God simply, the angel simply says, remember your cousin who's old? With God, nothing's impossible. Thinking back to Abraham and Sarah, you think that's the extent of God's miraculous capabilities? You think age is the furthest to go in this miracle of creating life? The angel basically says, God doesn't need age or a man in this situation. He will do the miraculous to fulfill his promises. 
God is able to go beyond what we've experienced. Roger Greenacre writes it like this. She conceived in her heart and mind by faith before she conceived him in her womb. Mary already understood the God of the impossible and she received that as truth. She says, let it be according to your will. Let it be to me according to how you have said. She simply responds in obedience. I think this morning for us as we head into this last day of of preparing for Christmas through Advent and going to Christmas Eve and whatever our families are doing tonight and whatever we do tomorrow on Christmas Day, I want you to understand that there is an interconnection of obedience and our awareness of God, the God of the miraculous. When we understand who he is and what he done, what he has done and what he will do, when we know our history, there is a deep connection to our ability to step in obedience. Mary understands her history, she understands her God, and she's able to say, let it be to me according to whatever you want. I will be obedient. It's this declaration of obedience. Most of you know that Ashley and I and our families are moving this summer. We are leaving the city and the church that we love to do it all over again in the South. And this week, I'm just being honest with you, this week I was driving, I'm like, God, I do not want to start another church again with nothing. That was a lot of work. <laughs> and, and like my mind of doubt and fears and accusations begins to swirl. But I had to come back to this. With God, nothing's impossible. If he's done it before, he does it. He'll do it again. Let it be, according, let it be to me according to your will. Knowing the God of our history, knowing what God has done in the past, gives us the ability to step into obedience in the present and watch him do the miraculous in our future. Does that make sense? Christmas is the most beautiful miracle mankind has ever experienced. And we should walk away knowing that God loved us enough to do this kind of work, to put Jesus in our place and sit him on the eternal throne how much love does he have for me now? And why could I not take acts of obedience and steps of faith right now? I have to, in Christmas, not just simply focus on the beautiful, fun things, but also, God, what are you asking of me in this next season? What are the areas that I need to trust you to be the God of the miraculous? This week I was reading this book called Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. Here's a couple of thoughts. I just want to read to you real quick. With a biblical memory, we have 2,000 years of experience from which to make the off-the-cuff responses that are required each day in the life of faith. If we are going to live adequately and maturely as the people of God, we need more data to work from than our own experiences can give us. Then he says this, that a Christian who has David in his bones, Jeremiah in his bloodstream, Paul in his fingertips, and Christ in his heart will know how much or how little value to put on his own momentary feelings and the experiences of the past week. And then he writes, biblical history is a good memory for what doesn't work. 
It is also a good memory for what does work, like remembering what you put in the soup that made it taste so good so that you can repeat and enjoy the recipe on another day. I don't like soup. But I do like knowing how God works and how he will work. I do like knowing the history of my people, the people of God. And what God has done then, he, he will do again. And, and who he is then, he will always be. And so I know my part in this. That if Mary gives us an example of obedience and trust and faithfulness, then I want to be that example of obedience and trust and faithfulness because I know that that life tastes good. I know that listening to him and responding to his love is sweet. We are all called to that. Christmas is the time to recognize that because God is on the throne, we live in anticipation of his hand doing the impossible. I'm not saying that you didn't get your miracle because of disobedience. Quite often God gives miracles in spite of our disobedience because he's that good. This Christmas, though, I want you to be reminded of our history. Adults, read your Bibles. Share testimonies. Stir the recipe book. Let's pass it on. Let's share it. Let's dive into it. Children in this room, ask questions about God, about his goodness, about the Bible. It will position you to trust God and see his hand doing amazing things in your life. I hope that Christmas reminds you that we have a God of the impossible and we get to choose a life of obedience to him and with him. Today is also Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, we light the center candle called the Christ candle. The Christ candle represents the light of the sun brought into the world. Sun, S-O-N. Brought into the world when he was born as a baby. God in the flesh. This is the very light of God come into the world. John chapter 1 verse 4 through 5 says, In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ has come to be the light of the world to bring us life. We talk about doing things not just out of tradition, but also reason and, and purpose, what's behind it. And so many of you may or may not know these two candles that sit on our um, table every week. They're lit for us. They're not just because we like candles. I love candles. I, I could smell candles all day long. It's one of my favorite things. But that's not why we have them here. We don't have them here because we don't have electricity. We have these two candles here because every week we are reminded that Christ, the light of the world, is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The two natures of God meets us here at the table. That when we come and we share together, it's his body given to us. God, the eternal God, his body given to us and his blood poured out for us. And so this morning, we're going to take just a minute 
to reflect on him, the miraculous God with us coming and meeting us in, our, in this space. And I would just encourage you to reflect for a minute. What, God, what are you asking me to take steps of trust and obedience in this week? Where are you asking me to look back at our, the history of our people, to see that recipe of your moving and your work in the world? What are you asking me to trust you with? Let's just take a minute to reflect on that, and then we'll come to the table together here in just a second.